This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, and you're listening to Teen Money Matters. I'm your host, Jaydeh Dekathari. Teens have enough to think about with growing up, such as societal pressures from peers, parents, family, and more. So how can young people set themselves up for financial success? This program will explore ways to save, budget, and understand the importance of managing money for the future, including interviews with fellow teens and insight from local experts in the financial world. Tonight, we feature teen guest Anish Pallod from Parkland High School. Hey, Anish. Hello. So before we begin, could you tell us more about yourself in terms of your interests, hobbies, future plans, and anything else? Yeah, sure. So I'm a very passionate public speaker, debater, uh, and orator. I'm also a, an artificial intelligence enthusiast, and I really enjoy, you know, working in that realm of you know, developing new artificial intelligence algorithms and models. So, yeah, those are two things uh, that I'm passionate about. In addition to that, I also play tennis and I play chess. That's great. So before we begin tonight's questions with Anish, I'll just go over a bit of our topic for today. So today we'll be talking about financial psychology and behavior. So what is financial psychology? It's a branch of psychology that examines how different psychological factors can influence our financial decisions and behaviors. Essentially, it's a study of why we do what we do with our money. And this takes into account multiple different factors, including cognitive, social, cultural, and emotional psychologies. So financial behavior refers to the actions and decisions that humans take when managing their money. It's influenced by the many different financial psychology factors that I previously mentioned. So why does and how does psychology affect our financial behavior? Well, first of all, there's many different beliefs about money that can affect our financial behavior and influence from other people and events such as peers, adults and society can also affect financial behavior. Personal associations can lead to financial conflicts with where to spend and where to invest. And this all in all affects the decision-making process as it takes into account several unquantifiable variables. And some key concepts that we'll be discussing include behavioral biases, which are systemic patterns of deviation from rationality, such as overconfidence, emotional influences, which examine things like emotions and excitement, which can impact financial decision-making, risk perception, which is an understanding of how individuals perceive and respond to financial risks, and the overall decision-making process, which analyzes thought processes and factors that influence financial choices. So now, why should we consider learning about financial psychology? Well, there's many benefits to this. Number one, it can help us take informed decisions. It allows individuals to make more informed and rational financial choices while they can consider both the positives as well as the negatives. Additionally, it can lead to improved financial well-being in the long run as it promotes healthier financial habits and overall financial well-being. However, there's also challenges that come with financial psychology. One, as I discussed previously, is behavioral bias, which is overcoming ingrained biases that can lead to suboptimal financial decisions for ourselves and also emotional responses. And in this, we have to learn how to control and manage our emotions to avoid impulsive financial decisions. So now, Anish, so I'll just ask you a few questions related to financial psychology so we can learn more about the teenage perspective. So what comes to mind when you hear the term financial psychology and how do you think it affects our daily life? Well, I think financial psychology mainly covers the motives and reasons 
for why people decide to spend money uh, and mainly what influences them in spending money. Yeah, and how do you think it affects your daily life in particular and considering teenagers in general as well? Well, I think that especially when you're a teenager, you've just started earning money. And so especially for me, now that I have a little money, it's kind of a learning experience to understand what are the best ways that I can use this money. And so as a teenager, I feel like, you know, financial psychology is very important because it covers why I want to purchase certain, you know, goods and things like that. So, for instance, whenever I have some lunch money, I have the choice if I want to spend it on a snack or if I want to save it up. So that's what I really think about it and how it affects me as a teenager. Yeah, definitely. And I agree that when you come to the age of a teenager, it's the first time you realize something of financial psychology itself, how you're going to spend your money and whether you're making a wise decision or not. So it is really important to consider all the choices before making one. And just like most of the teenagers, I've also experienced this myself when seeing what I want to do with the money that I have. So as I mentioned previously, behavioral bias is when you deviate from rationality and you come to other thoughts such as overconfidence or loss aversion that can cause many different financial decisions that don't go your way. So how do you think that teenagers are affected by behavioral biases and have you ever noticed any behavioral biases influencing your spending decisions in particular? Well, in terms of just general teenagers that are affected by behavioral bias, I feel like society places a huge impact, especially social media, on spending, but they don't talk about how to obtain that money in the first place uh, and, and before you spend it. So a lot of times influencers advertise products and have you know a, a lot of content where they purchase things, but they don't exactly talk about the importance of saving that money and earning it in the first place, which is probably the most important part. In terms of me, I feel like one way that financial psychology and behavioral bias has impacted me is that I had just gotten, you know, a couple hundred dollars and I wanted to spend it uh, on some stock markets and crypto was a big thing like a year back. And I decided to put all of my money into Ethereum and it turned out to be a great investment because crypto was booming and, you know, I'd made like 400% returns my money had quadrupled and I feel like in certain situations especially when you're making investments and you're making decisions on assets and purchases sometimes you don't really use a good rationale so I decided instead of doing more research and deciding and playing safe I thought you know I'm going to keep this money in for the long term and obviously that didn't pan out so I thought because I'm earning so much money maybe I can keep my investment there instead of deciding to pull out and play a more safer game. So I think that financial psychology and behavioral biases can tend to like make you deviate from the norm. Yeah, definitely. And this can happen on any skill as well. It doesn't have to be on the stock market too. It can be on regular purchases. So an example that I can share about myself is a few years ago, I was buying a product that I saw on television on uh, through different advertisements on social media and it seemed like a great product and thought oh it's pretty cheap and I think it would be a great use for me too but this bias that I got from 
you know, social media from other peers. This turned out to make me impulse spend and make a, a suboptimal financial decision. So it can happen on any scale. It doesn't have to be on a large scale of thousands of dollars. It can be um, just a matter of $10, $5, but behavioral biases can influence our decisions all the time. You told us about how um, decisions are really important. So walk us through your typical decision-making process when it comes to money, and how do you weigh your options and make choices? Well, one thing that my uh, parents have imparted on me is that good things take patience, time, and sacrifice. And that that can mainly be correlated to things like money and how you spend it. So usually my decision-making process is basically a balance between short-term and long-term pleasure. So I think about it this way. Whenever I make a purchase, I think about, am I taking this money away from saving for a larger goal, like buying a PC or contributing to my college fund? And then I also think about it as, well, well, what if I want to enjoy this nice pleasure that I have? And so really when I make a decision, I'm balancing out those two different spectrums. Yeah, and I just want to get back onto one of the previous points that you made during one of our previous questions about social media and friends. How do you think your friends and social media impact your financial habits? Well, I think that a lot of decisions that we make are based off of what other people do around us. So, for instance, you know, if somebody buys an iPhone, and especially the way it's designed, uh, I'm more inclined to buy an iPhone. And that, that's kind of what happened between me and, you know, my friends. So things like that where a lot of time to fit in sort of purchasing, and that can add to behavioral bias. In addition, social media uh, influencers and advertisers, in order to capitalize on people, they use a lot of behavioral bias. And um, as you mentioned, they might show something on TV that might seem great and advertise, and then... When you decide to purchase it, you realize that you, you were biased and you didn't really make a rational decision. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that, too. Um, I think social media plays a huge factor in our lives nowadays, and it doesn't just have to be tied to you know social psychology, cognitive, cultural psychology, but in our case, it also affects financial psychology. Many people don't think about it that way, but it definitely does make a difference when all of those aspects are tied together. So in social media right now, there's many different influencers that set unrealistic expectations. So this obviously, as you mentioned, has affected teenagers nowadays. But how do you think this will plan out in the future? Well, I can't really say for sure how this will impact the future. Because while people may be, you know, generating habits of impulsively spending, at some point it's going to come at a cost. And at least for just on a micro scale for an individual person, that may have developed impulsive spending habits, uh, once they learn that it doesn't lead to any satisfactory end goal, they might learn from that and improve. But I feel like the net trend overall and people starting to follow, you know, social media influences and are uh, impulsively spending has a huge negative impact on the future. And it's making people not choose wise and rational decisions when having money and, you know, using money. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that too. And I think social media is definitely going to, as of right now, it's seeming like it's going to increase in a positive trend from now. So we must be really careful on how we use social media in the future and what decisions we make off of that. So now up till this point, we've talked about how 
psychology and other aspects of psychology, like uh, social psychology and cultural psychology, has affected finances. So how do financial issues impact an emotional's mental and emotional well-being? Well, I've actually heard a statistic that people who are financially unstable tend to have like a decrease in like 13 IQ points. Uh, and, and that's just a study that I, I heard about a while back. But I mean, the, the figures add up. So if just not being financially stable causes such a negative impact on one's mental health, imagine what it does to every other aspect of people's lives. So I think that being financially stable is very important. When you don't have the right balance when you're financially spending, it can definitely be very bad for you. Yeah, and I agree. And I think financial, mental, emotional, social, cultural, spiritual well-beings are all connected to each other, all interconnected. So it's all in a balance. If one well-being is positive, others will most likely be positive as well. So we must take into consideration all aspects of our life. So before we end today, is there anything else you'd like to say to our audience? I mean, just make sure that you're making the best financial decisions for yourself. Great. Thank you, Anish. Thank you so much. We are going to take a short break, and you are listening to Teen Money Matters with our guest, Anish Palod, and we are talking about financial psychology and behavior. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. WDIY presents a selection of award-winning public affairs programs weeknights from 6 to 7 p.m., Listen to important conversations regarding art, science, politics, and more here in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Check our website for new topics and archive programs. WDIY Public Affairs on 88.1 FM, streaming at WDIY.org, on the app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Teen Money Matters. We are talking about financial psychology and behavior. Before we went to break, we were speaking with Anish about uh, the teenage perspective on financial psychology, and now we'll be talking with Mr. Bill Henderson as the chief investment officer at Valley National Financial Advisors, and his perspective of financial psychology and behavior. Hello, Mr. Henderson. Hello, Jay. How are you? Nice to be on the show again. I'm doing great. How are you? Just terrific. So before we begin, uh, could you tell us more about you and the work you do as the chief investment officer at Valley National Financial Advisors? Sure. So I've been in the investment world for about 35 years. I have an undergraduate degree in business and a master's degree in uh, finance and investments, both from Penn State University. I spent uh, 26 years at BlackRock as a fixed income portfolio manager, and I've been at Valley National Financial Advisors in the Lehigh Valley now for three and a half years as their chief investment officer. Great. So to start off, can you briefly give us an overview of financial psychology and how it affects our behavior? Sure. I mean, you're, you're, you're blending two very unique and complicated statements when you say financial and psychology, right? Financial, you could say that's money, and psychology is what you're thinking about. And if people don't think about money 100 times a day, they're probably sleeping the whole day. And it, it's a very psychological thing. You, you know, people worry about money. People feel good about money. People don't feel good about money. So the two of them are un- unfortunately inextricably linked. And, and it really impacts investments. It impacts the markets. It impacts everything. And, and as a professional in the field, I've tried uh, my best to remove the psychological aspect of it. Because as a portfolio manager, you really want to look at the data and the numbers and you want to make your decisions 
based on that rather than, you know, how I feel about a certain investment or how I feel about the markets. It's more, what's the data telling me? And then I make a decision, not you know, necessarily psychology, but, you know, money is, is absolutely linked to your, you know, your psychological well-being. If, you, if you're worried about money, you're going to worry about a lot of things. If you're not worried, maybe you'll feel better. It's important to understand that, that they are related and, you know, financial psychology impacts people's behavior a lot. Yeah, definitely. And I think that when considering financial psychology, as you mentioned, we must consider both the benefits that it gives as well as the challenges that it can occur within us. So the benefits, obviously, uh, if we understand it at a deeper level, we can learn how to, you know, maybe manage or control our emotions when performing investments or saving budgeting. But it can also negatively impact us as we can take irrational decisions sometimes based on our emotions at a particular time. Can you share examples of how you absorb psychological factors influencing financial markets or investment decisions? The easiest example is to take a portfolio manager or a trader, and that person has a particular trade on, or they have an investment and they it's not performing well, but they think it should be performing well, and they throw out everything that's basic in you know financial analysis. They they should be asking themselves, why isn't this stock or this bond doing well? Instead, they're saying, I really love this. It should continue to do well. And they continue to do bad things after bad, and, and the, the investment usually unravels. And it, it, a lot of times it happens when you're making decisions based on how you feel rather than what the markets are telling you or what your analysis is telling you. The, the, a perfect, simple example is you know a, a coin toss. It should be 50% heads, 50% tails. But let's say if I were to flip a coin in front of you 10 times in a row and first 10 times it comes up heads. What are you going to bet the next time is going to be? You're going to say, well, it's, it's got to be tails. It's been 10 times in a row. But the percentage and the optionality on that tri- that flip hasn't changed. It's still 50% heads or tails. So the previous 10 tosses didn't impact the 11th one bit. But people will use that thought, that psychology to make the decision rather than know it's 50-50. You know, as you mentioned, psychology, it's mostly linked to how since investments and finances is mostly math related while psychology is based on our emotions, it can negatively impact our investment decisions. But are there any cases in which we should use psychology to use investment decisions, like make investment decisions or invest in a particular market? Yeah, I I think you're saying, you know, is, is there a way that I can take how I'm feeling and apply it to investment decisions or market decisions? The easiest way to do that is set goals, set objectives, say for a bicycle, I'm going to save for a car, I'm going to save for college, set those goals, set those objectives, and then say, okay, now I have a, a, an emotional objective, which is to get this particular thing. And how am I going to accomplish it? Well, I need to save 50 or or $100 every, every week. Well, how do I do that? Well, I'm, I have a job, I make $200 a week, so that means I have to put away at least $50 of that or $100 of that towards my investment goal. Your psychological decision, which is I really want this goal to happen, now impacts your financial goal, which is I start with 200, I have to invest some, and now I'm left with the rest. And you use your desire to accomplish that goal as your the financial reasons why you want to invest or save on the other side of that transaction. I think this is like really prevalent in teenagers today as well, because I've seen this from myself and my peers that people save up money for a certain cause that they might really want at that time. And if they didn't have that goal or 
purpose in mind, they probably wouldn't have saved that money. So how can awareness of behavioral biases help teenagers make better financial choices in their day-to-day lives? First, you have to understand that, that money and investing is, are linked and money and behaviors are linked. You want to have some ability to separate the two, but understand that they are linked. My example is saving. If you didn't set that goal and put aside the 50 or $100 each week, you probably wouldn't do it. If you didn't have a goal, you wouldn't do it. And you pointed this out you know, perfectly. If I had a goal to save for something, I would be doing it. If I didn't have a goal, I'd just spend all $200. So to at least understand that those behavioral biases exist, which means my typical behavior is to spend everything I earn, which is great. But if I had a goal, I'd only spend three quarters of what I earn and save the rest. At least you know what your behaviors could be, and you need to separate those two out and make investment decisions based on goals and objectives rather than your personal behaviors. Going back to how different aspects of psychology can impact us, are there any specific tips or strategies that you can offer to teenagers on how to handle emotions when dealing with money? You know, look, everybody knows teenagers are sort of fraught with emotion, full of emotion with everything. A lot going on in the teenager's mind. I mean, just you're being pulled in many directions. Do the best you can to say, okay, I, I have emotions, but can I have a more mature goal? Even if it's a small financial goal, set aside money for that. And you can rotate what that objective is and rotate what that goal is. This year, like I said, it's a bike you're 15. Next year, you're 16. Start saving for a car. You're 17, 18. Okay, I want to have spending money when I'm in college. Start saving for that. So if you continue to sort of roll through different goals, but always have one, you'll you'll get beyond that, that worry. Like, if I don't have a goal, should I just be not worrying about money at all? No, I think you should always be worrying about money. And I think you'd always have goals to meet that. So now I want to move on to how like today's current situation is impacting teenagers. So with the rise of different social medias and different influencers, many young adults face the influence of advertising and consumer culture. So how can a knowledge of financial psychology help them make mindful choices when spending their money? It's interesting, you know, you bring up social media. I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously way older than when social media, when I was a kid, but we had, we had influences. You know, we had the same type of peer pressure where you had some kids in school wearing different clothes, some kids having a really nice car, some kids having, you know, their father's hand-me-down station wagon. So peer pressure has existed in every form for as long as I know. It's just now it's with social media. It's immediate, and it's in your face, and it's nonstop. And at least when, when I was home from being with all my friends, the peer pressure really was so, maybe gone because it wasn't in front of my face. But now kids are constantly looking at their phones or their smart tablets and seeing peer pressure all the time. They need to have the newest, the greatest, the latest. So if you can separate that out and saying, I understand peer pressure, but I need to separate myself a little bit. And if I have goals that are my own goals rather than peer pressure goals, that might help alleviate some of those difficulties. But you can't get rid of them. It's never going to change. It's been that way forever. It just changes the way it manifests itself in a teenager's mind. Yeah, and I really like how you pointed out that goals can help us with this as well because when you set personal goals for yourself, you might resist the urge to maybe impulsively spend on the new thing that you saw on social media or on television. And I think that's really helpful for teenagers nowadays, as nowadays especially as they move on to become young adults and move out from their homes and start their own lives somewhere else. So I think that's really important. 
so we talked about how psychology can affect our financial decisions. What psychological benefits does it bring for people when they save and budget their money properly? Saving and budgeting brings peace of mind, you know, and I, and I hate to keep sort of bringing up my own experiences, but I don't have a lot else to offer. Um, as a kid, I had a paper out and I made money and I saved that money and I bought things with it, you know, and, and I saved a little bit. Everybody had a passbook savings in the bank for whatever that rainy day was, but we generally saved for something. And that, that made me feel good, actually, knowing that I was saving for something, seeing that money build up and then hitting that goal going out and purchasing that thing that you'd saved so hard. It's not always a bad thing, buying and spending. In fact, if you do it in a proper, responsible way, you know, you spend your own money, you don't buy on credit, you don't go into debt to buy things. But if you work, earn, save, spend in sort of a methodical way, the reward of that is, is wonderful. You know, I mean, I, I earn my money now and I take a vacation and I feel really good that I've earned that vacation. You know, literally, the money to pay for that vacation has been earned by working. You know, and that gives someone a really good psychological feeling, knowing that there's a goal at the end of all that work you put in. Now I'd like to move on to how, like, teenagers, as especially as they grow older now, they would want financial independence from their guardians and parents. So how can they strike a balance between making their own independent financial decisions and taking guidance from their parents and adults in their lives? someone who's 13, 14, or 15 doesn't know everything about investing. There are a lot of resources for it. Most times, parents probably have a trusted advisor, a financial advisor, a financial planner, an investment person that they use. We actually at Valley National have a lot of fourth-generation clients, meaning like great-grandchildren of the of our founders' original clients. So that's, that's a lot of a time that people have been with Valley National. And how did that happen? Well, a grandfather says, I'd like to put away something for my grandson, puts it away. The guy says, hey, that did really well. Tell me about that, you know, grandfather. And then they, they walk, work through it all together. So the way you do that is your part of the responsibility as well. You have to start with money. So again, I think working is really a responsible part of every teenager's life, no matter what you do, babysitting, a paper route, working at the local store, anything. It, and it doesn't have to be in a major or in an area that you feel you're eventually going to wind up doing, it could be, it's something when you show up for work every time that you're required to show up and then get a paycheck at the end, you feel good about that. That's your part of the financial equation. And then go to your trusted advisor or your parents as a trusted advisor to help you save and invest some of that money. It never hurts to get started early. So as we near the end of our conversation today, what advice do you have for teenagers about personal finance as a whole? And what are some resources that you would recommend them? Okay, so in the big picture, start early. The earlier you start saving and investing for retirement or a goal, the cheaper it is, the easier it is to save for that specific goal. All you have to do is put away a little bit of money each week, and you'll see over long periods of time, it amasses to a great fortune. And that great fortune is relative to how much you put away, but over 10, 20, 30 years, you'd be shocked at the power of compounding and how that works for you as a saver and as an investor. So start early, save a little bit of what you own, earn, and um, really have a goal or an objective in mind. You know, now, heck, you guys have everything at your fingertips. You have the web. You can type in any term at all, and you can Google it, and it'll come up exactly what that means and how to go about it. I'd start there. Start by learning the power of compounding. 
you know, what that actually means. So it's basically getting interest on your interest. So if you invest a dollar at 10% next week, you're going to have a dollar 10. You keep that dollar 10 in there. Now you're going to get interest on the dollar 10, not just the dollar. And that's called compounding. And you can compound out for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years. And it's amazing what the power of compounding is. And you can look that up and really see the amazing benefits. And, and there's very inexpensive ways to save and invest. There's things called slices now. You can buy those through any discount brokerage. So instead of buying a single share of Apple, which today is probably 180 bucks or so, something like that, where am I going to come up with 180 bucks? Well, how about 10? Yes, you can buy a slice of Apple for $10. Next week, put another 10 in. You buy another slice. The week after that, another slice. And after you know 18 weeks, you own a whole share of Apple. The point is, start early, even a little bit at a time. You know, people go to Starbucks. They buy a lottery ticket. I always point out to people, you know that $5 on a lottery ticket? That's $7 Starbucks. If you were to invest that, compound that every single day for, you know, a working career, 20 or 30 years, you'd be shocked at how much money you have. Thank you so much for this conversation today, Mr. Henderson. And I know that our listeners really enjoyed this. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you listeners for making time for this conversation. You can also find past episodes and other public affair programming at WDIY.org and on major podcast platforms. I'm Jaded Kathari and this is WDIY 88.1 FM. Tune in next Thursday for more Lehigh Valley discourse and we'll see you next time on Teen Money Matters. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.